This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome back to the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. This is episode five. We'll be getting into all things Victor Wembenyama as normal, including reaction from uh, Chuck and I on the... Draymond Green, Draymond Green and Paul George comments that were said on a podcast P, where uh, Wemby is apparently getting set up to fail. I've got some opinions on that. I'm sure Chuck does as well. Got reaction to the first summer league game that we saw from the Spurs uh, blowout of Brandon Miller in the Hornets, which was nice to see. Plus, how about a little bit of football? Month A month away from training camps, and uh, I am... More than stoked. I know you are as well, Chuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as always, I'm your host, uh, Matt Roy, joined by just Chuck Mikatinik, which is more than enough. And uh, Don will have the day off as he gets ready to head to uh, Vegas to see Wemby play in person. So how was your 4th of July, Chuck? It was eventful, to say the least, but got was able to take care of some things around the house, some personal things. So wasn't exactly the fourth I was looking for, but grateful that I had the day off that I was able to handle those things. Did you uh, eat some hot dogs? I did not. Do you think you could eat as many as Joey Chestnut? No. <laughs> I've never really understood all that to begin with. I mean, I just, you know, made for TV, and somehow we get sucked into it every year. I can't remember the last time I've even said that man's name on TV. It just, it just does not speak to me for whatever reason. It doesn't speak to me either, but it's... Uh... It's actually disgusting when you watch when you watch yeah. it. He's soaking the bread and just shoving it into his mouth, and it's like a feat of human nature that I. It's like a car crash. I just can't look away. Okay, well, well. <laughs> I, because to me the story all reads the same every year. I've been able to look away for quite some time. Yeah, that's fair. Sixteen out of the last seventeen years. Shout out to the greatest athlete in modern history. All right, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right, well, quick reminder before we get into it, you can download, rate, review, subscribe us wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Thank you in advance for all that support. So let's get to know Chuck a little bit. Uh, I like to do this at the beginning of the podcast. So you've covered thousands of games in your life, Chuck, events, everything under the sun. Is there one that sticks out with you, one that sticks with you to this day? You know, there's actually several, Matt, you know, and as I was thinking about this, it's like, what instantly comes to mind? Well, I am infinitely grateful that I got to watch the Packers win their Super Bowl in Arlington against the Steelers back in early 2011. And because I just, the whole week was just not going the way I had seen it happening. You know, I was around my squad the whole week. They were nearly, not nearly as entertaining as the Steelers were in terms of fascinating guys and guys you could have fun with leading up to. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that the Steelers had won the previous Super Bowl. But I got food poisoning literally... <laughs> 30 hours before kickoff and oh, no. you know I Matt I think I've called in sick twice maybe three times in my entire working career and so I called our news director at the time Keith and I told him I said well at least you know I'm not playing but there's no way I'm going to be able to go to kickoff we were supposed to be doing shows and stories and reports for other stations starting like at 8 a.m. well I didn't sleep all night because I couldn't get out of the bathroom yeah. And so 
without going into too much detail there. I'm sure we can imagine. Yes. <laughs> Luckily, I just, I kept hydrating and hydrating and hydrating. And finally, I flushed myself to the point where at two o'clock, I was good to go to the stadium. The problem was, is that Jack Green, the greatest <laughs> photographer in the world, he's already there set up, ready to go. Just handle is. everything by himself that day. And luckily for me, my brother had a suite courtesy of Dell, who he was working for at the time. And because there were no taxis, I think this was pre-Uber, if I'm, you know, without dating myself, or at least if there was Uber, I didn't know how to use it. Right. And so luckily my brother came and got me, dropped me off about a mile and a half from AT&T Stadium. And it was a little warm that day. I just remember thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then, <laughs> you know, as the game unfolded, Packers have a six-point lead late, two minutes left to go on the game. Big Ben's got plenty of time to go down the field and score a touchdown and win the Super Bowl like he had the year before. And I kept thinking, I did all this, and now I'm going to have to interview nothing but Steelers after the game. <laughs> it's going to be so bad. But luckily, four and out for the Steelers. Packers celebrate. And, you know, I only had to go to the bathroom one time during a, the Super Bowl. So all's well that ends well. It was a miracle. It was a Packers fan miracle for you. Absolutely. Yeah, to be able to watch that in person was pretty cool. There are other moments, too. I mean... It was cool. I got to go with the Cowboys to England eight years ago for the whole week. And although it was mostly work, we had basically set it up where all the work was done. We had a whole day to just kind of take in everything that London had to offer in terms of sights and sounds. So there's, there's been a lot. I've been infinitely blessed and cool, too, because as I look back, it's not just one sport. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got to do NBA Finals, World Series. NBA All-Star Games, Finals, all that stuff. And, you know, the people that you get to meet, it's a cross-section. You're not just hunkered in on one sport and focusing in on one sport. So in that regard, you know, infinitely lucky and probably too many things to name here in just one podcast. I mean, I guess that's your most memorable for both reasons. One, the Packers won the Super Bowl, and two, you, fluids were flowing out of everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it was, you know – it. It was fun to watch your team celebrate a Super Bowl, but it definitely came with a price. A little less fun that way. Right. Uh, I'm sure you enjoyed 97 a little bit more. <laughs> yes, and I was afraid to go to that Super Bowl because I was sure they were going to lose. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. So I, I thought, I'm never going to play that game again. So here we were in 2011. <laughs> well, at least they won. At least they won for you. So Amen. Let's get to a little bit of... Draymond Green and Paul George. So Draymond went on Paul George's podcast this week. It's called Podcast P, I guess going off of his playoff Paul uh, moniker that he has, uh, I don't know if lived up to, but he's, he's, he has, I guess. Um, his new episodes drop every Monday. He, he did what Draymond does. He, he got people talking. He said some stuff that got all of us a little bit uh, wondering what he meant and thinking about things. So one of which was he thinks Wemby's set up to fail by the media and the hype that he has. So let's play a little bit of that right now, and then uh, we'll get uh, Chuck's take on it. To me, he's kind of positionless. Like, yeah. he's he not going to put him at the center. Mm -hmm. Now it's four guards down there, you know, four perimeter players. So, and, uh, and, and, and the four man is athletic. So, like, mm -hmm. it, I, I just, I don't. I see him doing well. I'm not saying he's going he's, he he's to get some no way at all a bus. He's going to be a, a a star, but I think in the beginning it's got to be some type of struggle just his transitioning into this game. Like I don't think his 
trajectory is going to be this. Yeah, I don't think that from he, day one. I think people are setting him up for failure. Like, oh, he's going to be an all star next year. Like, man, it's hard in this. Mm -hmm. NBA. Said that? Yeah, it's hard to become an all star in this Dang. league. Now, if he do, like, God be with him. Yeah, like, I hope he succeeds. I just, like, I think, but to to say like he's going to be an all star next year, as if he don't have to figure this game out. I don't really buy that. I think he will be special, but an all-star next year, I think that's a bit much. He's not wrong. I think right. I think people looked at the the he's set up to fail thing and was just like, oh look, he's he's the NBA is gonna fail and the Spurs are gonna fail. And it's like, no, there's been three rookies since Tim Duncan, actually including Tim Duncan, that have made an all-star game. Yao Ming, Blake Griffin, who was in his second year, and Tim Duncan. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, some of this is obviously hyperbole, right? I mean, Draymond's clearly marking his territory as a sage, wise, and accomplished NBA player. So, of course, any snot-nosed rookie that's coming in here from overseas and, you know, people are already getting out the anointing oils, he's probably going to have a problem with. But you're right, he's not wrong. And I don't know that setting up for fail, I mean, is it wrong for – this player to, if he's can do all these things and he looks the way he does and he moves the way he does. And we're seeing things out of a 19 year old that's seven foot three and a half that we've never seen before. Is it wrong that he's capitalizing on this before it even gets started? Of course, there's going to be struggles. Will he be an all-star in year one? Who knows? But you know, the talk about not putting him at the five or the four, I mean, this is basically now a positionless league. Like, you, you don't have the traditional fives. Like, when I was a kid, the guy that bogged you down was the last guy getting down the floor. Yeah. All these guys move like cheetahs now, and they're really positionless. You've got all these motion offenses. And so in the traditional sense of, you know, having a true point guard or having a true center or a power forward, those lines have been blurred, and they have been for easily at least the last half decade. Yeah, I mean, you look how Wemby plays. He plays like a three or a four. I mean, a stretch four, maybe. He plays more like a two or a three right. until, until you get him on the on the elbow or on the lower block. So, I mean, I don't think that I, – I think that his comments were a little bit blown out of proportion because I don't think he's set up to fail because he also said in the podcast, and I think you and I and Don and everyone has said so far, he went to the perfect organization. For him, for him, for his development, for his career, he went to the perfect culture. The he went to the one that he wanted to go to. Like I don't think he's set up to fail. I think that the expectation on him might be a little bit much. I, I would agree with that one hundred percent. And I mean, again, it's like set up to fail. What exactly does that mean? I mean, if you or I don't give any energy to that, then like my expectation isn't that he's going to come in here and score thirty a game and grab fifteen boards a game in year one. I mean, first of all, I don't think their team is set up that way to do any of that kind of stuff, night in and night out. Yeah. So, you know, again, if you don't give energy to some of this stuff and some of the things that are being thrown out there, then, you know, it's okay to have somebody have their open mic and give their piece on what they feel the situation is. But I know I'm not measuring anything other than a game-to-game -game basis. Let's see what he does. And to me, the only way he's going to be a bust is if that he's hurt all the time. And he's obviously shown no reason that that's going to happen. Right. And Draymond says a lot of things that are um, a little bit off the wall. This isn't one of them. I mean, in the if you look at the entire 10 minutes that he was talking, him and PG and the other gentleman on that podcast, I don't know his name, were talking about Wemby. It was in a respectful manner. I mean, they were talking about him like he's going to be really good, but he 
might not come in that way. He's go, he's his talent is unbelievable. He's a great rim protector. He's all these things. The Spurs are a great organization for him. And then he says that he's set up for failure, and people just take that two minutes or two seconds where he's like, I think he's set up to fail, and they just run with it. And that's just not what happened. That's not what he said. Right. Um, also on the pod, though, was uh, how they're going to defend him, which I find interesting that an, that an eight-time All-NBA defensive player, a defensive player of the year in Draymond Green, is already thinking about this. You're like he's because he's what all of six ten, six nine, something like that. He's already thinking like, okay, how am I going to defend this seven five monster? So let's play uh, this little bite from Draymond and and uh, Podcast P. Seven five. Talk to me. How, like, how would you guard him? Because I'm. I tell people like he's elite, <laughs> hell of a talent. But some of the that I've seen, he's not. We're not letting him do that I'm in sorry, the NBA. But you're not just dribbling through me like the Harlem. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I saw some of that. You're like, don't get me wrong. Like you said, he a phenom. Um, but some of the stuff is just like, <laughs> I mean, come on, bro. Yeah. Like, I can rip I'm a good player. Like, and, and special, special <laughs> talent. Like, to even be able to do some of the stuff he was doing, like, it takes a very special – at that size. Right. Very special talent. But, like, you got to press up into him. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't let him get comfortable. Mm-hmm. If you let him get comfortable, you lose mm-hmm. because you're not blocking his shot. He may not even see your contest. Like, right. he's 7'5", five. <laughs> right. he shoot the ball up here. Right. He may not even see your contest. So you have to – with a guy like that, I feel you got to do your work crowding. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm crowding him from the time he start running up and down the court. When they get the rebound and they start coming, I'm crowding him. Yeah. Because I can't let him get to a space right. where he's comfortable, where he's going to get to that space and do what he want to do. You you can't. Right. What do you think, Chuck? Well, I mean, I think what Draymond said is apt. The problem that the NBA has is how many guys are there that are that kind of mind as a Draymond Green, there's not many guys that are already thinking about that, how they're going to play him, and then really then go execute the plan. And even if the plan doesn't work, you're still working on something to try to knock this talent off of his game. I can't tell you how many times, Maddie, I saw games this year where guys were getting in the playoffs, were getting to the rack, and in the NBA that I watched, you know, all the way up until the last five years ago, somebody would have knocked them on their ass. Like, you can't let guys freely go to the rim repeatedly before somebody's going to put a body on them and make them think twice about, look, you're not going unimpeded to where you're trying to go. There is going to be some resistance. You know, there's going to be a storm. It's hot and cold are going to intersect. Something's going to happen, but you're not getting a layup or you're not getting a dunk. And again, I just don't know that there are that many guys like Draymond in the league that are willing to go do this. You know, the Bruce Bowens of the world that took great pride in defending every night. And, you know, I just don't know that night in and night out, if Victor Wimanyama is going to see that kind of an assault on him. And, you know, some of this is, you know, it's, it's 40,000 foot view, right? Like th- Wimby, if, we, if he is even half of what we think he is, is going to be good for the game. And it's, it's like what happened during the Wayne Gretzky era. You know, hockey was a brutal sport, way more brutal than it, than it is today. But there were rules in play. It's like, look, you can hit anybody, you can fight anybody, but nobody lay a hand on Gretzky because <laughs> this guy is making us money. 
You know, it's the Tiger Woods Center. They Mike, did you that can with hate LeBron. Tiger, right? Yeah, you can hate Tiger for everything that, you know, all the attention that he's taken away from you. The bottom line is the purses are going up. The attention's going up. Everything's going up because of this guy. Even if you're the competition, there's some things you cannot do because overall, that guy, if something happens to him, is going to take money out of your very own pocket. Well, and the thing is, when you have Draymond talking about how he's going to guard him, people like Draymond are going to be the ones that are going to guard him. It's not going to be Rudy Gobert or it might be Bam Adebayo. It's not going to be Nikola Jokic guarding uh, Victor Wembanyama because they're not going to go out to the three-point line, and that's where he's going to hang out for most of the time. So you, I think it's interesting that that guys like this are already thinking about it. Superstars in the league are like, okay, oh boy, our hands are full here, aren't they? <laughs> right. So, I mean, I think he's going to get a lot of bodies on him early, and when there's a chance for contact, he's going to have to face that because this is not – the LNB. This is the NBA with the greatest athletes in the world. You know, there's not a slug in the league. There's just not enough seats at the table for that to happen. So he's going to face some challenges in terms of how people defend him. But again, I like the base in terms of what it is and the arsenal that this guy already has, yeah. Wemby I'm talking about, coming into this league. So, you know, there's going to be some challenges, too, for defenders trying to figure it out. Uh, yeah, you give me you give me his skill set, and we'll just uh, we'll roll the dice. That's, we'll, that's where I'm with. We'll see how it yeah. goes. A couple other things they said on there. We won't play the sound, but Dre, was, uh, Dre said Wemby was really blessed by going to San Antonio with Pop, um, which I absolutely agree with. Uh, him coming here is a blessing in disguise. I don't even know if it's in disguise. I think it's just a blessing for him. He also said that um, Wemby's floor is something of a good rim protector, uh, something like another Frenchman, Rudy Gobert, is. I don't think that that's his floor. But what do you think, Chuck? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough right now to compare this individual to anybody. I mean, I've never seen a guy this tall that can handle a ball like him, shoot like him. I mean, and just when you think you've seen it all, you know, he does the dream shake and – you know, or he just does the dive step, turn around, fade away. I mean, like indefensible stuff on certain players that you've seen over the years. And it looks like this guy's got it. Now, obviously, the defenders are going to be much more incredible in terms of athleticism in the next league. But, you know, again, to put any kind of a ceiling or floor on this guy seems a little ahead of where we're at in terms of, you know, where he's at in in his development. That's fair because his we don't know what his ceiling is, but we think it's like Michael Jordan. We think it's an all-time great. We think it's a top 5 player of all time. And his ceiling, we have no idea because we've never seen it before. Right. We've never seen someone like him before. The closest thing we've seen to him is Giannis or Kevin Durant, and he's 3 inches taller and has a better jump shot when he comes in and is a better basketball player than both of them when he comes into this league. So Yep, Shaq was up there too. I mean, that was yeah. one of those like, okay, how's his game going to translate to the NBA? And, and then as he we became, found out pretty well. <laughs> and then he became one of the most dominant big men right. of all time. Uh, in for my money, that five year stretch in the early two thousands, late nineties, he was the big, best big man of all time, the most dominant big man of all time. Yeah, I can remember he, his first All Star game ninety three. It's one of my fondest memories too because I got an exclusive interview with him, but only one question. I kind of <laughs> worked his it's like dad. Like Don and Wemby. Right. It was literally. You know, I was asking his dad, look, please, anything. You know, I'm here. I'm a young reporter. If I go home with nothing today on a Friday, I'm going to get fired. He goes, okay, come up to his hotel room. You get to ask one question. And it was really like 
what's it like to be here? And, say what you ask. <laughs> and then it was funny. I got done and his dad looked me right in the eye and he goes, you know, you wanted to ask more questions, didn't you? And I said, True to my word, dude. You let me up here. I'm going to make this look like I was up here all day. So all I needed was all I needed was the 15 second, two second cutaway. Like, oh, he just chose not to run more of the interview. <laughs> nope, I only got one question, but like, it was man, nice. Chuck's holding to out on us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, this, let's get to some on the court action. We did see the Spurs uh, summer league team kind of destroy the Hornets on Monday, which was. You know, it, impressive in its own right. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Mark Schlereth. He's a former Bronco uh, and three-time uh, Super Bowl champ. And he, the preseason doesn't count, but it does matter. And so uh, seeing all those guys like Champagne and Barlow and even C.D. Sissoko shut down Brandon Miller the way he did, those things matter, especially when you're, when you're building a rapport, you're building camaraderie, and you're building yourself into an NBA player. Yeah, I think, Matt, my – 40,000-foot view of NBA Summer League is, is you really get a chance to see very early on who are the pretenders and who are the contenders, right? And to me, what it looked like with Champagne and Barlow was this was like open gym at the middle school and the two high school studs came in there and just ran <laughs> over everybody. Like, those dudes really popped. And then I'm thinking to myself, why are they even here? Mm -hmm. And then, second of all, how did they not get on the court a lot last year because of what they were doing against – you know, essentially the best college foreign players in the world that are trying to get to the NBA, right? It also looked to me like the Hornets had never even practiced. So that <laughs> comes into part of it, where the Spurs looked like it was the guys that were there had been coached to a point where they were taking it as seriously as if it was a playoff game. Yeah. So in those Brand guys, yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to, you know, again, I go back to like Donovan Mitchell. Didn't know who he was in a summer league kind of like what I saw the other night. It was like, this guy's going for 30 every night. It's like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? And is this going to translate? Well, obviously it did. But, I mean, I don't think anybody knew that Donovan Mitchell was going to be Donovan Mitchell until you first got a chance to see him play in that summer league. Right, and the summer league is kind of like the preseason of football where you have players that make a roster and then end up being superstars. Draymond Green lit it up in summer league as a second-round pick. Look at him now. You have Victor Cruz lit it up in the preseason for the Giants. Look at what career he had. It's like you're playing for a job. You're playing for a spot on the roster. Champagne might not be because he just signed a four-year deal, and afterwards he basically said it's a little bit more motivation to prove to them that I earned that money. But right now you have 15 guys on a roster, 10 guys on a roster who are trying to make the regular season. They're trying to play with Wemby. They're trying to play with the regular guys, and they don't want to be – one and done's, I guess. Right. They're also trying to, right now, they're trying to impress upon the coaches that they have earned minutes during the course of the regular season. And I mean, the way these guys move, the way they can score, they sure look the part. Mm -hmm. You know, but there's, there's a lot of guys like that. But, you know, what we saw the other night, those two dudes really, really stood out yeah. as guys that you're thinking, okay, maybe there's something there that the Spurs have, and they've been kind of sandbagging on us a little bit. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like it was great basketball uh, by any means because you had turnovers. I think Brandon Miller had like six turnovers in the first half, and, and I don't think anyone doubts Brandon Miller is going to be a really good player in this league. But it, none of it was great basketball, but they proved that they can play no matter what. So, Amen. So let's get to a little bit of Cowboys talk, something we haven't done yet on this pod, but uh, 
since uh, training camp's coming up here at the end of this month, and then we'll get right into preseason, and we're going to be starting to talk a lot more about the Cowboys. And um, as Jerry does, he keeps himself in the headlines. He does. Better than, anybody, better than anybody yeah. else I've ever laid eyes on is he keeps Jerry Jones in the headlines, and he keeps the Cowboys in the headlines. Well, Netflix announcing a $50 million project to do a 10-part docuseries on Jerry Jones in the 90s. Cowboys, what are you hoping to see in that in that documentary? You lived these years. I mean, they haven't won yeah. they haven't won more than four playoff games since I've been born. So you lived these years that that the Cowboys were winning all these championships. What do you what do you want to see? Lived them and covered them. I mean, that was as big of a treat. You know, you asked earlier some of the things that come to mind in terms of big ball games, but you know, I've been covering the Cowboys essentially since 1990. Either going to camps or you know games here and there and so constantly have stayed, you know, relatively in the mix. I'm by no means a Todd Archer or anybody else that maybe covers them on a daily basis, right. but grateful for the fact that I got to watch all that unfold, how it took a couple of years to kind of get things moving. And then, you know, just the, the gift of having watched Troy, Michael Emmett, Dion, all these great players, how they interacted, how they interacted with each other, sometimes not so great, you know, how the coaching staff did what they did, all of those things. Uh, what I'm hoping to see, <laughs> getting a long way to answering your question here, is is there going to be something new from the 90s that I don't already know or haven't seen or the stories? That's what I'm hopeful for. But it just also goes to show you, too, you know, Matt, you know, we face these challenges all the time, like from Texans fans, like, why don't you do more stuff with the Texans? Like, this is a different entity. This is the only thing that people are really watching on TV right now. It's the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, that's why they want them on prime time as much as they can. That's why yep. you have so many different shows evolving or revolving around them. It's, you know, $50 million for just one part of Jerry Jones's series goes to show you, I mean, again, what am I going to get out of a docuseries on the 90s Cowboys? Probably nothing. I'm probably not going to watch it or invest any time until I hear somebody say, hey, did you see the part where, and if I don't know about it, then that's my cue to maybe go check it out. But, you know, again, the fact that he could make $50 million just for the rights to tell a portion of that story is just insane to me. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's trying to capture and capitalize on like the last dance that they had for with the Jordan and the Bulls. Mm -hmm. I think they're trying to do Jerry wants to do that, but with the Cowboys cuz they were nothing if not entertaining in the 90s. I mean, there was a lot of personalities on those teams. Right. They were great on the field and they were super entertaining off of it. And I mean, it's again, a good thing Twitter didn't exist then. 100%. <laughs> but I mean, even if Twitter hadn't, I mean, a lot of the dirt, if not most of it, came out during that time and if it wasn't during or as it was happening it came out afterwards because of just the stories and the personalities i mean they literally to me even to this day are a walking soap opera yeah absolutely i mean I i'm gonna be really interested to see how jerry takes credit for for what happened in the 90s and and if jimmy johnson gives any interviews i because that is the biggest running soap opera of the last 30 years is their relationship or lack thereof will jimmy it's a question every offseason will jimmy johnson get into the ring of honor never 
probably never until Jerry passes away or gives up the team. Yeah, I mean, that's a weird dynamic, too, because, again, we really don't know if Jimmy gets too much of the credit and Jerry doesn't get enough. I mean, again, you've talked ad nauseum about the few number of playoff wins that they've had over the last 30-some-odd years. But the bottom line is, from a business standpoint, when have they been irrelevant during the course of those last 30 years? You know, almost, every, I think, except for three seasons, and this is off the top of my head, were they not at least a playoff team going into the last week of the season? So, it was a the couple of those Wade they, Phillips years, wasn't it? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head who deserves the blame. It was mostly when they were so capped out from those 90s teams, and they basically decided to just scrap the team, and it was those early 2000 teams when Quincy Carter was the quarterback, that they really didn't have the roster, I think, that they were hoping for because they simply didn't have any money to spend because of all this dead cap space that they had to absorb from the 90s. So there was a lull there, but they've had a couple of down years. But again, I think for the most part, you know, there's a reason why, Matt, we go to OTAs mini camps, rookie camps. I can't speak to other people, but I like that. That to me is a great time to go meet some of the younger guys, introduce yourself. They get to know you maybe a little bit. If you got five or 10 minutes, you can small talk off camera and, you know, just ask them things that have nothing to do with football. And, but there's a reason for that. It's because these guys bring fannies to the TV. And if we can get a little of that going to our newscasts and our sportscasts and, the like, well then, I mean, you can clearly see how many people are making money off the backs of the Dallas Cowboys in this state in particular, but also nationwide. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Cowboys have been good, not great, the past 28 years. I think they only have four playoff wins, but their worst record was in 2014, they had, or 2015, excuse me, went 4-12. and 12. But besides that, they're perennially six wins or more, at least eight wins. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. It's also crazy that they can't get over the hump again. And with as good of a roster as they've assembled, all credit to Jerry and Steven on that, they've done a really good job acquiring a lot of talent. It's going to be interesting to see how they come into this into this season with under Corky, as you call him, under, right. under Mike McCarthy, and how they can try and overcome and, and, and get rid of all those demons. I, I don't know if I think that this team as currently constructed can win a Super Bowl, though. Yeah, I don't know either, and it'll be fascinating to see how it turns out. I think the question in my mind, and I think we'll get a chance to see this as the season unfolds, is, is McCarthy a better head coach when he's calling the plays? Will he be a better game manager? Because, you know, having watched... 99% of the Packer games that McCarthy was the head coach on, I felt like as a game manager, there was nobody better at the end of halves, the end of games, drawing up Hail Marys, drawing up these plays. You know, West Coast offense, yeah, but it's nuanced. It's not what quite exactly what Bill Walsh was running or Marty, you know, Marty Schottenheimer nuanced offense. It's different. It's sort of like McCarthy's amalgamation of all these different things that he's pulled from, and it's uniquely his. Mm -hmm. But because of the dynamic that was in play when he got to Dallas, i.e., your offensive coordinator's already here, you know, there were times when the Cowboys at the end of games, to me, weren't as sharp 
as they were in those Packer teams that McCarthy had. So I don't know if it's because McCarthy wasn't play calling, forced to think not only what's going to be the next play, the next play, the next play, or what is going to be the next play in this situation or that situation, but you also have to keep in mind where's my defense at in all this? You know, how do I keep them off the field? How how can we best keep them fresh so that they're really ready to make stops in the fourth quarter? You know, will that happen? Will he be a better game manager, a better head coach that he's calling plays? I don't know, but I think that's the dynamic that's going to be in play this year in terms of something that we didn't see since he's gotten to Dallas. And I think that having Dan Quinn on that team is almost essential is is 99% essential because you can essentially just give him the defense Mac doesn't need to pay attention to anything that happens for a third of the game it, it seems like when you have Dan Quinn over there so but I don't know if the defense is built to win either in my in my opinion I don't think Trayvon Diggs is the answer in, at cornerback the he gives up too many big plays. You saw in the uh, in the divisional round against the Niners, he dropped that pick that would have given them the 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 ball again. I just don't know if the team as constructed can win because they have they have holes on the back end of the defense. You have Micah Parsons, obviously, which is great. You have their great linebackers. You have great defensive line. You have a good offensive line. We think. Yeah, I mean, there's some question marks there's there. question marks on I the mean, offensive they're not, line. They're not what they were, no. you know, when Zach and that crew Travis was Frederick younger and, and Tyron Smith and yeah. all them. I mean, can Tyron Smith play a whole season? I think based on the last few years, the answer is probably no. But I think also because when McCarthy was in Green Bay, he enjoyed a lot of success because he was able to play with essentially – most of his offensive line was intact week to week. Mm-hmm. Since he's gotten to Dallas, that has not been the case at all. Almost but, ever. <laughs> right. There, There's constant change, turmoil, injury, whatever it is. Not turmoil is not the right word, but turmoil created because of all these moving parts. But I like what they're doing. I mean, guys are moving around during OTAs and minicamp. They're exposing guys to spots that maybe they're not comfortable with. I mean, look at how well Tyler Smith played last year and all the moving around he did as a rookie. I mean, these guys are getting game experience at other spots. So they've given themselves a chance that when things go murky up there, if they do again, they're giving them their best chance to succeed. And I always felt like that was the best part about McCarthy too, is that he's taken more with less and did more with less in Green Bay and never got enough credit for, you know, taking a Ty Montgomery when he's ru- he's out of running backs, turns Ty, run- Ty Montgomery into a running back. Ty Montgomery's still in the league playing running back mm-hmm. because he saw the foresight. How many games did McCarthy win with quarterbacks that never played again that had to fill in sub for Aaron Rodgers when he went down that could have created your whole season. But Matt Flynn. Got Matt Flynn paid. <laughs> Matt Flynn gets paid by the Seahawks and then gets beat out by a rookie. It's a pretty good rookie, as it turns out. I'm not anymore. Right. Well, <laughs> he was when he was coming up. Don't remind know, me. Don't remind some, me. <laughs> got some big playoff wins against my squad. But, I mean, I guess essentially what I'm trying to say is there. I haven't seen too many guys, and maybe my I've narrowed my scope to the point where this is what I believe because – I've watched so many Packer games, but I've just never seen a guy that's had this many, you know, pulled an ace out of his back pocket 
and was able to trump everybody on what was going on based on just a little bit of imagination, but obviously some preparation going into what if this happens, what if this happens, are we prepared? And I think you saw it last year with Cooper Rush. I mean, Cooper Rush couldn't even make the Giants two years previous. That was the worst team in football, it looked like. And then <laughs> this guy wins four games for him last year. If they don't win those four games, they don't make the playoffs. So there were there were you know fail-safes in place that helped them at least get to the playoffs. And then, you know, in terms of what happened against the 49ers, I mean, it was despicable that you could only score that few amount of points. I mean, yeah. you, you would think the way you played all year, and again, some of that is, I think, the genius of Shanahan. I mean, that well, dude is we, a great game plan. I think we just talked about the Cowboys for 10 minutes and didn't mention Dak Prescott's name, which is surprising, one. But two, it, it goes to say, like, there's a lot of question marks with this team. It, it besides if if Dak can stop turning the ball over, which who knows yeah, what's I mean, going it, on in his head. It looks like an anomaly year in terms of that. But again, it's like even Cooper Rush threw his share of interceptions well, last he's year. A, so he's a backup, <laughs> right, right? But I mean, in terms of maybe it's what was going on with the offense. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's a reason why McCarthy's like, look, we got to go back to doing things the way that I really want to do them, which is run the ball, run it first, figure out ways to ground and pound, keep your defense fresh because the longer you're working these long drives and you keep your defense off the field, the fresher they're going to be at the end of games, and that's when games are won. I mean, we'll see. But was that – was McCarthy making that decision to be like, I want my offense in here? Was that his decision or was that, was that Jerry and everyone else being the like, way, you know what, I don't know. The way I understand it, he's been chomping at the bit to do this for a while. So maybe there were outside influences – that had a part to do with it too, but this wasn't simply a spot where Mike McCarthy said, "Okay, I'll do it if you want me to." Yeah, he really he was getting the itch to call plays again. That's fair. Never, never a dull moment with the Dallas Cowboys. No, never a dull moment. It. Yep. But hey, maybe the Texans will be good too. We'll talk about them at some point when uh, C.J. Stroud throws for five TDs or five picks. I guess we'll see what happens with them. Can't be but any worse. Can't, be, can't cannot be any worse than Davis Mills. But uh, anyway, that's it. A quick reminder, you can get uh, this podcast wherever you get your podcast in on YouTube. The YouTube version has video elements and all the sound bites and some uh, video plugged in along the way. Please download, subscribe, rate, review, and then if you want to, do it all again. Give us a five-star rating. Give us some feedback. We will be back, I believe it's on Monday. No, Tuesday. I think we'll be back Tuesday next week. And whenever you need me, I'm here for I you. Think it's me, I think it's me, Don, and Chuck next Tuesday. Uh, once Don gets back from Las Vegas, we'll talk about uh, Wemby and all that stuff because why the heck not? Yeah, right. So we'll see you back here next week, y'all, on the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.